Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Three, two, and one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is Robert Safrata, the owner and CEO of Coast to Coast Experiences. Robert, how are we doing today? Thanks for coming on. We're doing very well. The sun is out, as you can see behind me, and uh, that's a good thing in the Pacific Northwest. Great thing in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and, and I am a native of that territory too, so it's great to always connect uh, and, and takes me back to my, to my roots, to my origin. And that's what we want to start off with today, Robert. We want to start off with your origin. Uh, how did you get into business? How did you get into the impact space? Bring our viewers into your story. Those are long stories. How did I get into business and the impact space? Into business, I, it's it's uh, natural. I recall as a young boy, perhaps age 13, my brother, a couple years older, with his friends up later than me, and I could hear them in the hallway. And they were riffing on something they might do, you know, that, oh, we could do this and that, and I could do that. And they were essentially, um, talking about some kind of implementation of not so much a business, but an activity. And I was lying in bed listening and, and very excited about this. And the next morning I said to my brother at breakfast, I said, that was, that looked, sounded so great. Uh, when are you going to do it? And he just went, oh no, we were just playing around. And I felt completely frustrated. I thought, no, you have to do it. it it's all about the doing. And that's my first memory of knowing the word entrepreneur means to undertake, translate, to do. And that's part of the test of, of being an entrepreneur is are you actually doing it? And my brother not. And um, a couple of years later, I was doing at age 15, I was creating uh, projects. I love photography. So I sold my services uh, doing photographing for uh, brochures uh, with, uh, you know, uh, friends, parents, companies. And, and it started there doing things. And 
it just always was in my mind. I could do that. How would I do that? Visualizing, thinking about it, and then doing it if it if it made sense in in the vision. So that's that's that to me has been a very natural thing. And in fact, as many people know, for the entrepreneur squirrel, we have to stop doing those things sometimes too. We can't do everything. We can do anything, but we cannot do everything. I, I love that mindset i love that philosophy let's start with the doing the action where does this mindset come from i think as many people have probably heard that 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 ideas become your uh words your words become your actions your actions become your destiny or manifestation and so i believe we're here to do and whether it's to be kind to people to create something. I, my father was a, an artist and an architect professionally. And so I saw him taking ideas uh, every day, every month, every year, and manifesting them from talking about them to doing uh, models or testing as an artist and then, and then creating art or, or architecture. And so again, I got it at home and that's, that's a huge advantage to be uh, schooled in that from a young age or to see that possibility from a young age. And so I, I love the idea of, you know, your, your perspective shapes your beliefs, your beliefs control your actions, your actions are what doing. Bring us into how your perspective uh, shaped your beliefs, which led to the action of starting uh, Coast to Coast Experiences. So to... Uh... I think to be, to clarify that, I didn't start it, I bought the company. I, I have purchased 36 companies in, in three different industries. So typically find an acquisition or an industry, uh, purchase a platform, learn about it, uh, bring something, some novel or interesting uh, advancements to it, if you will, from the outside, and then, and then join with others and, and, and build it. So, you know, with, with Coast to Coast, uh, before that, about 10 years before that, I bought a local same-day courier business, which I still have, and I'm very, very proud of it, where I cut my teeth on green, which started in 2003. And I, I always say this, and it's important to say this. Um, I have, people have said, gee, Rob, in 03, 04, you're, you're really ahead of the game, although my mentor is Ray Anderson, who started in the mid-90s with interface carpets but um you know i have been married 38 years and uh, my wife was the founding chair of ecotrust in canada and ecotrust is an american-based portland-based uh company working at the nexus of the environment and business and so i got it at home just like i got uh, creativity and manifestation at home with my father i my my wife would essentially ask very gently, can't you do business better? That's what she would say. Can't you do it better? And when I bought a, a dirty business, the courier industry, and I can call it that very plainly. I don't seem to have more elegant words. But when I bought that business, she said, what are you doing buying that terribly polluting business? And immediately I, I said, because I can clean it up. And that's what we've done. Where our footprint at Novex as a local same-day courier, a grotty little business uh, that you might look at from afar, 
And we've reduced our footprint by 59% as of 2020. And we will reduce it, not by offsetting only, but um, 100% by 2030. And then we'll be restorative beyond that. So when I bought Coast to Coast in 2009, a tour bus business, of course, that was the, the, the playbook. I was going to reduce the footprint and clean it up and practice a triple bottom line. We hire 10% of our people from in Vancouver, what's called the downtown east side, which is, you know, disadvantaged folks. Uh, 10% of our 250 people come from the downtown east side. And the, the you know, people who do this, they understand the uh, un anticipated benefits of that are extraordinary with all with with the other 225 staff they they they're proud that we have some electric buses we're going to convert all to electric buses that we hire from the downtown east side that they're helping these people excel and grow and 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 uh, confirm their lives so i think i've said a lot there um i'm sure you're going to ask questions but it, it just became obvious and it's a great way to wake up in the morning. Well, Rob, before we talk about kind of the business growth and the leadership uh, lessons that you learned throughout the journey, I'm curious to know, you know, just what has shifted your perspective and belief in terms of clean companies? Uh, do you have a, a strong relationship with being in the outdoors? What has made an impact on you that, where you said, hey, look, you know, this is something I want to pursue? Yes, if I, again, thinking back to who I really am, and that I think is formed when people are quite young. Um, as you may know, I was a ski racer. I was on the Canadian ski team for five years from 72-3 to 78. I was in the Olympics in 1976 for Canada and in uh, giant slalom and slalom. But the reason I mentioned that, I don't put that at the top of my resume, but it is, again, it is, uh, life forming from the age of nine to the age of 20, I was skiing, ski racing. And the last uh, six years, really outdoors, nine months a year around the world on mountains. However, the reason I live in Vancouver is part of that. I grew up in Toronto, which is a wonderful Canadian city. And I moved here I, with my wife and our then two of four kids in, um, in 91. And, and partly because when I was, I came out to a summer ski training on the glacier in Whistler at age 13, the first time I'd been west, and I came out, uh, got off the airplane, and soon after, I, I could still remember thinking, breathing in and thinking, they must lubricate the air out here. Isn't that wonderful? The, the air was just that much fresher and wonderful and perhaps the precipitation um, than it was in Toronto. And, and so I'm used to being outside. I have trouble sitting down for more than two hours without moving a little bit. I love being outside and the, the things that it brings to you. I've been in, involved with Outward Bound Canada, which is a worldwide organization since the mid nineties, where you do uh, outdoor, uh, you know, treks and camping and whatever. And, and I find that uh, a lot of the ideas, the relationships, the good feelings happen out there. So I respect the, uh, the air we breathe. And um, 
I'm aware of it. I'm very aware of it. And that's step one, being aware. And and you, you mentioned kind of like your childhood impacting kind of this perspective and these beliefs. If you had to share with our audience maybe what some of your core values are and how they've influenced your decision making, what would those core values be? Well, the the table I don't list this one and I want to make it clear because I think of it as table stakes, but truth or honesty. And so I don't list it because I think of it as table stakes. And most people that I find that work through their values should either consider or have it as, as, as their values. Um, but I, uh, so let's just say that's at, at, at the base, the base of everything. Um, love is number one. And, and number two is health. And you might think it might be the other way around, but if I don't have love, if I'm not, and, and love doesn't mean only the, the most uh, intimate and, and deep kind of love. It, it can mean a feeling, a feeling, a wonderful feeling towards people and places and self. So love is number one and a way of treating people that way and, and thinking with people. Health is number two. And again, if I don't have health, then there's, if I don't have love, then what is health? If I really don't have love, then I kind of go, well, so why? <laughs> I have to ask the question, why? Why, why um, interface and be, interact? Um, creativity is number three. And, and yet number four is mastery because creativity without mastery is chaos. It can be chaos. I've, I've certainly uh, been guilty of that. And might, some might say still, still am. Um, so those are the, the top, the top four. And I'm very clear about those. And, and Rob, just curious, just looking back to maybe some of the early companies that you bought, acquired and grew, and grew uh, help me understand it. If you were kind of just say, Hey, what's one word to kind of describe, uh, how you were feeling on a day-to-day -day basis at your early stage, what would that one word be? Uh, let me check. I'm answering the question because what would be my feeling when I'm acquiring a business? I don't think that's quite what you're asking, but I can answer it in some way. In terms of the mindset of your early days, um, what was kind of your, your mindset of growing the organizations? How would you describe how you were feeling on a day-to-day -day basis? So, so let's talk about leadership. It, it really comes to that. And I always try to not try. I always need and want to find something bigger than us, bigger than the business and uh, that we can accomplish as a, as a group, as a team that we represent. So I'll call that cause leadership, which isn't a term. I still look it up occasionally. Isn't a term that's really known. And yet I would suggest that the people I've met through you and, and through real leadership are cause leaders, quite frankly. And I, I came across this, uh, again, the story uh, as an entrepreneur, the, in the, you know, I finished ski racing in 78, finished my education. And, and then, you know, the, in, in the early 80s, it was get a job. 
that was it. Get a job in, in Toronto, in corporate Canada. The word entrepreneur was a bad word. Then. It was you. You mm. were a slimy, not a good person. That That's not that long ago. Mm. Uh, not always that way, probably in the United States and certainly in Canada and the West. It was more interested in entrepreneurship, um, the art of the possible. Uh, but I did. I got a job at a large company, uh, the main office. And I worked there for four years. I worked very hard and it, it, it darn near killed me. I walked out of there a shell of a man. Uh, I can't say it another way, just crushed. And I, I performed really well, but they, the company uh, had been a go-go company. The day I arrived, I like to joke, the day I arrived, the stock started going down. The day I left four years later, the stock started going up. And what I mean by that is that the people involved in the business, they were good at this. They weren't good at that. They didn't know how to manage in a downtime. And that was from 81 to 85. Hmm. So I experienced uh, bad leadership or lack of leadership, uh, all that kind of thing. And I'm glad I did it, I'll say, because now I understand how things work in large companies and what people I'm talking to often have to deal with. But as a result of that, I left and I became interested in servant leadership, which again I'm, I, is, is a well-known term and well-documented, well-practiced. And certainly it was a, a ray of light for me, servant leadership. And you know, before that, uh, I think in the go-go times in the 80s, 70s and 80s, when I was in the company, there was what I call motivational leadership, rah, rah, you know, include everyone, uh, motivate, that kind of thing. That's nice. It's better than command and control and ignoring. Um, however, I think it, it, it wears off after a while. And it doesn't create, it, it's not embedded necessarily in deep values. It's just not. So servant leadership, I think, is, is wonderful. But I discovered what I call cause leadership. And I discovered it, I have to admit, uh, it's my interpretation of reading some books from a fellow named Lance Secretin. Uh, who's a Canadian and does, he's a, he was a leader and he does consulting and writes books, but he wrote a book about um, what is the leadership style of the great leaders in the world. He kind of turned it around. If you look at Gandhi and uh, Mother Teresa, perhaps uh, Jesus, um, uh, Martin Luther King, you know, he said, okay, what was their leadership style? And the, the, the Coles notes are that their leadership style was they represented a cause which people were drawn to. Just think of that. Think in perhaps the people listening, and we've experienced this in our businesses. When we started to practice and, and, and green, people were drawn to it. The resumes were better. Our turnover went way down. So people were drawn to the cause. So to, to be proud, to be proud that we're doing something bigger than us, more important than us, beyond us versus selling a widget, selling a widget that won't make you sick, selling a widget that won't impact the earth, you know, all those sorts of things, a circular widget. There's, that's really, really powerful, energizing to me. And I, I've experienced, I've observed with others as well. And so is this cause, is this like a North Star? For you, how, how do you ingrain this cause into the culture? By doing, 
<laughs> by doing. It's it's everything from the paper you buy to the coffee you buy to the things you don't buy to social purpose to hiring people from the downtown east side. It's 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 what I like to say is uh, anything we the way we do anything is the way we do everything. So if I say I'm a green company and I just I'm not thinking about the paper I'm buying or even how much paper I'm using if I need to, then that sends a signal or the the small things, the large things. And so it's it's embedded in our, our culture. It's embedded in our planning, in our decisions. OK, is this a, when we're, you know, our dollars that we spend is a very powerful signal as to what our values are. Um, so it's, it's in everything we do. It's, it's who we are and the people who show up are like that too. And as I said to you before we started, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful to pe people I'm meeting through real leaders that are supportive, helpful, informative, are, have, have information to share and help about ways we can lower our footprint, our impact, uh, social purpose, all that kind of thing. So it just becomes a way of doing business. And in fact, uh, I mentioned earlier, Novex Courier, we started this work in 2003. And what's happened in the last five years is that everyone there has been doing it so long, they just say, why would we do it any other way? This is just the way we do business. Mm. So while we're still the only green courier around in our in our city we stopped uh letting people know because we just thought well doesn't everybody or isn't this isn't this obvious and it's not so i was at once a little not so much frustrated by that but i was more um happy about that i guess well, well robbie there was a lot in there and i think one of the things that stuck out to me was the cause leader, uh, the Gandhis, the MLKs uh, of the world. Um, and, and what we found too is, you know, when, when you are able to grow that support, a lot of people are putting faith in you and you have to be willing to uh, not compromise your beliefs that have connected with so many individuals because like Peter Parker's father said, with great power comes great responsibility. Tell me about a moment, a significant moment in your career, Rob, where you were faced with a difficult decision or some type of moment that created a, a significant action uh, that influenced your career? Influenced my career. Um, maybe I'll ask you to ask that a little differently after what I'm going to say to you, because I was incredibly proud, I guess, again. So again, at Novex, uh, the founder of Novex started the company in 1984. We bought it in 2000. He wasn't involved anymore. He'd sold it two years prior. We knew nothing about the curry industry, but we did know him. So he came back into the business with us as a, as a junior partner. And he didn't believe in green. He didn't believe, he says, I don't recycle nothing. You know, <laughs> he's like, this is, no one's going to care, all this kind of thing. And, and yet we were the owners and we worked with, with him and the associates to educate and learn and start implementing practices. And, and then it was, uh, so a few years later, uh, 08, 09, people recall, there was this, oh my God, there's just, what's the, the bottom is falling out. 
so we did a um so that people we knew about it in september october we're a little bit insulated in vancouver canada because uh two years later we were ho vancouver was hosting the olympics so there was a fair bit of economic activity but not not completely and so we looked at our projections and we said, well, we don't know if we're going to be down 15% or 30%. So we did both. 15% didn't show much. 30% showed a lot. And, and we saw certain things. We had a lot of things that we could or had to cut to make sure that we were in a solid position if it was down 30%. Um, Ken, the founder and the disbeliever earlier on, the one thing we were doing then was we were buying offsets. We were paying for offsets. And it was a material number. It wasn't huge, but it certainly wasn't small. And Ken, I watched as they were adjusting the budget. As he was the president then, I watched. And he kept, that's the one thing he kept in were the offsets. What a shift in four or five years. What a shift. So that's not... I'm kind of half answering your question, but not really. Um, maybe, maybe from that, if you want to try and get at me a little more directly, I won't. I, I won't avoid it. <laughs> well, it um, sounds like a, a significant moment. Uh, I was wondering if you have ever, because the the thinking tends to be: if I go green, I have to pay for carbon credits. It's going to you know increase my expenses. Everything is going to cost more. Is there a moment where you were placed a, a difficult decision where you had to hold your ground and not compromise your values? Oh, every day. I'm sorry, every day. Um, my job is, is keeper of the vision, which is kind of the moral equivalent, the values. And, you know, I have that luxury too. I mean, I'm not, I can you know, allocate resources and say, no, we are going to do that versus someone who's not sure. Um, they should be sure, I guess. But um, no, that's, a, that's a constant constant piece of catching, catching and reminding. And, and even in the way we run our meetings, that, that when we're making a decision, we go through the triple bottom line of it. We say, okay, well, that's going to cost less or that's going to cost more. How is it, is it going to improve our green, reduce our green, improve our social, reduce our... So I think it's, it's even the way, it's not, of course we do accounting according to generally accepted accounting principles, but internally we, we, we play with it, if you will. So for instance, again, back at, at Novex, but it works at, West, at uh, Coast to Coast as well. So our turnover went in uh, Novex, the drivers who own their own vehicles, it went down to 10% annually from an, an industry average of 40%, and ours was 30, 40%. So you might say, okay, what's it costing to be green? But I went after that, I said, how much have we historically paid for hiring, you know, finding, advertising, hiring, training, and then at least the six months or more that it takes them to become optimally efficient in their roots and knowledge and that kind of thing. So I took that money, you know, I said, okay, that money now is, we, we saved it there, but we're allocating it over here to help the drivers buy their hybrids and electrics. So, so we, 
we do a lot of things like that. Like we put it into the marketing budget and which marketing goes into the drivers, right? So um, it's, it's a different way of thinking about business. Uh, and, and that's the trick. And we've had to learn and, and be educated, but someone who's an old style business person wouldn't normally do that or wouldn't, wouldn't approach it that way. They'd say, oh, our bottom line's more. No, our bottom line is enough. <laughs> we have to do this. And that tends to be uh, a major statement for a lot of the impact leaders, if you will. It, it's, they take enough over more. And that tends to, to show in long-term growth and trajectory and sustainability and stability. A lot of listeners right now, Rob, are scratching their heads. They're going, no, this is interesting. This is a way that I can incorporate uh, in a holistic approach uh, to, to implement cause leadership and have it show up in all aspects of my business to retain more employees. What are some other ways that you've been able to implement changes in your company in a dirty company to convert it to clean list a few of your top things that could help business owners listening to this sure i mean i i've been asked this question a lot and i think it's actually very simple uh, to approach it from a business a business angle and again when i talk about this usually i say do you want your sales to grow up to go to to increase do you want your costs to go down Yes. Do you want your brand uh, recognition and uh, equity to go up? Yes. Do you want your, your um, sort of uh, risk of uh, being attacked or brand risk to go down? And people go, yes. I say, okay, great. I'll, tell, I'll show you the green things we do that achieve that. And, and, and in a way that's not short term either, it's, it, it stays with you, stays with everyone. So the first thing I say is, well, just get an audit. <laughs> there are so many groups. In 03, there was really nobody hardly, but, but now there are so many groups and they'll audit your business and, and show you where your, the, the low-hanging fruit, your carbon footprint is the biggest. And they'll show you all of them to the largest and the smallest. I mean, obviously with vehicle companies, it's the biggest, biggest part are the vehicles themselves. So that's big part of our effort. And yet there are so many simple things now. I mean, you, it was hard to find uh, uh, no VOC paint in, in 03, 04, and it probably costs double. And yet when you use no VOC paint, the people working for you aren't half asleep at 2.30 in the afternoon or, or dragging their feet the next morning because they're just, you know, they got no energy from the off-gassing of the VOCs, right? So it's, Again, all these things aren't little things. Uh, when we changed offices a few years ago, I said, I said, we, we've got to have, you know, furniture that's not off-gassing. Well, it took longer to get, so it delayed our move in and people were keen to move in. But when we told them that, well, no, this is so that we're not, you know, putting chemicals in, you're, you're not breathing in chemicals and, and all that, and you'll have fresher air, they, they understood immediately and went, well, thank you. Actually, not frustration went. Thank you. So, but get an audit, see where the big things are. And I, what I like about that for business people, they're used to looking at something on paper, on the computer with numbers, with, you know, and, and, and finding I can do these three things that will reduce it by half or 10% or 90%. So it just becomes a to-do list. Once you decide it, 
once you decided to get at it and then how, you know, how quickly do you want to get at it or how does it all relate to your brand, to your people, to your hiring, to your values and, and those many things. So, you know, I'm not necessarily here to, to list the 20 things you can do. It's, it's obvious and it's different for every business. Get an audit, look, if, once you've decided, get an audit and, and then start going through the list at a pace. And, and again, the fun part is the, the unanticipated benefits. And I didn't know those. I can't know those. As I said, one of them was all of a sudden in a courier business and in our coast-to-coast tour business, we get better resumes. We get the best drivers. They stay with us. They never want to drive a, a, a diesel or a gas truck car again, ever. And they're proud that they are the one that has one of the few. So pride is incredibly important. And um, if you want pride in your business and alignment, uh, this is, I think, to be crass, one of the most powerful tools, if you look at it that way. And so, Rob, if you see this as what I'm hearing as a, a competitive advantage, over time, like how do you see this movement shifting? Does this make sense? You know, if, if this is a, your competitive advantage and more companies seem to adopt your changes, your sustainability, your cause leadership and become more sustainable, how do you see this impact movement evolving? My, my view is different than it was 10, 15 years ago. My view is, in fact, that the laggers will lose. That's, that's my view now. I'm sorry. It's just that way. And I hoped, I thought, even though I'm a, I can be a fierce competitor, I've learned how to modulate that. Um, even though I'm a competitor, I thought, well, the best compliment is that my, my competition starts to do this too. And they haven't, and they're losing. And I am frustrated with the immense amount of money and effort put into greenwashing. And I have a, you know, a, a big meter on what people are doing and what's real and what they're just saying they're, they believe in without actions or investment. But um, I think the, the, the laggers will lose. And that's when I've experienced they pay attention, you know, again, in the, in the, uh, in the tourism industry, though, I would say I am glad that the competition, I, all the competition I've talked to and other operators in North America, they want, they like green, they like, elect, they want electric buses, they hope to have them. So there's, there's not a pushback there, uh, varying degrees of trying to get them, of course, so that's a way of pushing back, I guess, not trying too hard. But in the courier industry, you know, five years after we started doing what we were doing and getting a name for it and reducing our footprint significantly. Um, it wasn't until our competitors started losing customers and they were still uh, servicing them well, running at you know, 98% on time, professional, whatever. And they'd say, well, why did the customer switch to Novex courier? And then when the customer told them it's because they represent us better because they're green, um, what did they do? They put a, a sustainability button on their website with a one pager full of gobbledygook, nothing. We, we, encourage, we continue to encourage our drivers 
to use lower footprint vehicles. And they would, they would make up terms that aren't even terms like, um, I think it's like green friendly vehicles. There's no such a thing. There's no such a thing. And, um, but that's what they still promote. And people, not just me, see through that. So they'll, unfortunately, they'll, instead of adapting necessarily, they'll, they'll just lose. They'll be small. And a lot of the thinking tends to be, you know, you're positioning yourself, right, to to lower your risk for future events that may happen with climate action, uh, the, the social influence that's out there. Uh, but we can talk about this in present day, Robert, we mean, when gas prices, right, extremely high. Are, are you seeing a competitive advantage on your front uh, by being more, let's say, fuel efficient and reducing your costs, just out of curiosity? Of course, um, electric buses, we don't, you know, we're not uh, subject to that in the courier industry that we're in. We're not FedEx or UPS, we're a local same day. 100 drivers, they all own their own vehicles, so they benefit from it. Um, uh, you know, at some point there may be, um, uh, what do you call it, the driving charges in the city. Uh, I can't remember the term. So we'll benefit from that too. It'll be another lower cost. So in fact, in, instead of it being more expensive, it'll be an advantage and, and lower cost. And again, that's an unex, unanticipated benefit. We couldn't count on that. We couldn't count on gas prices being so high. And I, perhaps that's short-term and short-lived, whether it's a few months or maybe a year. And I, I think we have to think longer than that. How long out are you thinking, just out of curiosity, how do you see the role of business playing in these existential threats and long-term problems? Well, my, my job by definition is to work one to five years at least forward. So whatever, whatever's happening in the next 12 months, that's been planned, defined, budgeted, and, and we've got the people to that are way better than I am at doing that. So my job by definition is one to five years. I think longer term, and yet we can do a lot in, in one to five years. And, um, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> I love it. And, and curious to know um, your philosophy on just business as a whole. Does business have a purpose to you? What is the purpose of business? Uh, well, when you say that, I think I remember something I hadn't called for a long time. In the when I was in university in the early '80s, uh, I had a friend who, a woman who was in business school. I didn't, I never went to business school, and they were kind of asking that question in in the class, and and uh, she said, "Well, it's you know, it's more than just profit. It's more," and they shot her down big time. Big time. And, and her father was a, a leader of one of the largest banks in, in Canada, investment banks. So it was interesting. She had that perspective. But um, so business for good is, is a term we, we see now. And, you know, business has taken advantage of and caused the pollution. That's I don't haven't had anyone uh, argue that one. And now my belief is 
okay, great. The hope is, and the need is that we, that business is the solution. And one of the things I am keen to do, and one of the reasons I'm speaking to you and others, and I didn't do this for the last 10 years, but I'm doing it again, is to hopefully show and motivate and help others to, to see it that way or to figure that out. And for lots of reasons, for our own personal health. Uh, again, we're in the vehicle world, so we, we bring pollution and particulate matter to your sinuses and your mouth every day. And uh, I don't want to do that. That goes back to me being age 13 and getting off the plane and saying they, they lubricate the air, let it be so. And we all spend lots of money and aspirations to go typically to places where it's healthy and fresh. Well, why not aspire for that here? So, you know, business yeah, it can be a challenge and it's creative and rewarding to be part of the solution, to be the solution. Rob, you've shared a lot of experiences that may have uh, shaped and shifted your perspective on what makes a good leader. Let's bring this home, Rob. What is your definition? of a real leader? I, as you can imagine, and I, again, I hope the listeners, I'm sure have studied leadership and have either in my way as an entrepreneur or their own way understood that uh, social values and personal values. When people ask me what they should do to be a better leader, I always, I'm very clear, and it's my own thing, is they know yourself. Know yourself as, as well as you can. It's the inner universe. It's that inner excavation. And the person I am today is not the person I was a long time ago. And so I've learned from my mistakes. I've learned from my faults. I've learned from others' faults. I've learned from others' examples. And I, I truly hope and want when my time is done on this earth and i am proud currently but to be very proud of my own evolution during this time on earth so know yourself a real leader knows themselves and knows themselves well by doing the work with their interactions with their responsibility and by knowing themselves hopefully they have a more complete understanding of of other people and and can uh, be empathic can can help other people and if i think mainly my job is to to be in service of uh certainly well beyond myself but um, other people people in the community people that spend their time dedicate their time working with us that's a big responsibility if i can have that approach of what can i do for you how can i help you what are your dreams then we are co-creating a wonderful existence and a loving world. And it's, I'm trying to find ways to bring the word love into the corporate, the boardroom, the corporate uh, uh, vernacular. Um, so I mentioned that because someone will suggest ways to do that. And I've had others doing that. And again, my mentor, uh, not personal mentor, but my, I've met him a couple times, Ray Anderson. Um, who's passed of interface, he did bring it up. There's a, there's a YouTube, Love on the Factory Floor. And um, I think that was, 
in early 2000, and it was the answer that he got from one of his, uh, one of his associates on the factory floor, and, and that's what they said they were doing. Love is the answer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that Way be wonderful? way to exist exactly and that is the message that will continue to repeat when times are tough love is the answer for robert safrata i'm kevin Edwards asking you to go out there know yourself and always folks keep it real thanks rob thank you And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real